John, and I'm glad to be here again, distinguished visitors as well. Thank you for inviting me again. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, in two weeks, I'll be retiring from federal service, but uh, luckily, I will still be in the industry uh, in a more uh, free-flowing capacity, I suppose, uh, and making my own hours and my own schedules, uh, etc. But I will still be engaged, so you won't lose me to the, the business. Um, so today's panel, we're on regional uh, geopolitical dynamics of Arabia, of Arabia and the Gulf. This title of this panel allows me, and we have distinguished speakers, I'm just going to make a few introductory remarks, and then we'll get to our key, key speakers on this panel. Uh, focusing, I'd like to, just a few remarks on American policy and the American position in the Gulf. There's been a lot of discussion over the past eight years or so of a U.S. pivot away from the Gulf, uh, that the U.S. might pivot toward bigger threats, China, Russia, and that the Gulf states, uh, on hearing of this or, you know, sensing this, have started to uh, perhaps uh, hedge their bets, as, we, as one would say, or <clears throat> make other arrangements, or, or look to uh, you know backup plans, plans B, let's say. Uh, what I'd like to say is, first and foremost, uh, while the U.S. defense strategy documents might talk of redeploying resources and reallocating funds, etc., the United States of America still has a very keen eye on the Persian Gulf. The United States has not taken its eye off the Gulf. There is no way the United States can possibly walk away from the Gulf when the Islamic Republic of Iran government, uh, which is committing any number of abuses as we've seen over the past month or so, uh, is still in power. Iran, the Islamic Republican government of Iran is a growing and gathering threat. It has the largest missile arsenal in the region. It has used this missile arsenal against some of the Gulf states, particularly Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It, uh, it manufactures its own drones, armed drones, that it is now providing to Russia. Uh, and, and it has provided these drones and these missiles to uh, Allies, some call them proxies, I call them armed factions in the region, pro-Iranian factions in the region, which these, these proxies or these, these allies have used to significant effect against the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They've tried to strike uh, not much success against the United Arab Emirates, uh, but particularly against Saudi Arabia, Iraq, they've been used, uh, obviously Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon, uh, and as I said, the Houthis in Yemen have been firing them almost every day when the war was at its height. It's in a little bit of a ceasefire, sort of a ceasefire now. Ceasefire technically ended, but I think it's still roughly holding um, the, between the Houthis and the uh, Republic of Yemen government. The United States will remain in the Gulf, in my estimation, not only to defend the Gulf states, but also to defend the free flow of resources to U.S. allies in Europe, Japan, and elsewhere. So it's not just a matter for the United States of defending the Gulf states. It's a matter of defending the broader global economy. And that's why, in my estimation, the United States will stay heavily engaged in the Gulf. 
In my estimation, the GCC leaders can rest easy that the United States is not going to abandon the region anytime soon. And there really is no alternatives to uh, the United States in terms of security umbrellas, security arrangements, etc. The Iranian strike on the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in 2019, the oil facilities there, shows that the GCC states cannot really necessarily defend themselves without the United States. Um, <clears throat> China is a regional power, but it is mainly interested in economics, resources, minerals, uh, and China is not really interested uh, in getting involved in the politics of the region or the security arrangements of the region. Russia is a bit of a different story. It's interested in, in, in perhaps displacing or embarrassing the United States or making difficulty for the United States everywhere, including the Gulf, if it could. But it is proven in Ukraine that Russia is at most a middling power with really no future uh, and no real role in global geopolitics. The Russian failure in Ukraine has, if anything, in my view, enhanced the American position in the Gulf. And that is a calculation surely leaders in the region, including in Tehran, probably perceive um, that uh, Russia has failed miserably, and it is not. It is not an alternative to the United States. It is not in the same league as the United States of America. Russia is not. <clears throat> With those few thoughts, I'd like to turn the panel to our main speakers. Doctor, both of them my friends. I've been with them in many sessions in the region here. Dr. Abdulaziz Al-Sagar will go first, and then Dr. Shaji of Kuwait will go next. Thank you. Dr. Shaji. Thank Dr. you very Shaji. much. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, depends wherever you are in the world, and good evening. Uh, what a great pleasure to be again with the National Council. Thank you, Dr. John Ducantini, for uh, you know, organizing such an important uh, hours in this uh, uh, stage or uh, uh, in Washington with you many years ago, and still I'm very pleased to keep the close ties between the Gulf Research Center and the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations. Today I will focus in viewpoint, and of course, uh, uh, Dr. Katzman, thank you very much. It's nice to see you on the screen, <laughs> so it's uh, great. Um, let me focus on three key issues when it comes to the uh, U.S.-Saudi relation. How do we perceive today the, uh, I mean, you've mentioned almost everything we would like to say. You've talked about the U.S. commitment according to the National Security Declaration of the U.S. about the U.S. commitment toward the region. But when we see the act uh, that have happened, you know, it raises many questions and we start wondering which one should we believe? Should we believe uh, a U.S. official when they say they are going to revisit and uh, you know, readdress the relation between Saudi Arabia, strategically between Saudi Arabia and the United States with both uh, Democrat and Republican at the Congress level and so. So fine, if you like to revisit the relation, we also would like to uh, readdress the relation and look at it and see it from a strategic point. Um, some they call it, uh, you know, an, an, an alliances. I call it, it is a strategic partnership and not an, uh, uh, you know, an alliance, a strategic alliances because 
and the alliances has been defined by the U.S. is Israel. This is the country that you have an exceptionally uh, relation. You want to give them a, a great military superiority in the region. You've supported all what they do despite of the different Gulf or Arab position there. So uh, we listened to another statement by saying, yes, we are committed to the security of the region, but when the uh, oil critical facility were attacked, we have not seen any interception and we have not seen any serious evidence being given by the U.S. to the country here to uh, uh, make sure that Iran will be uh, responsible and they are the responsible one, you know, for that sort of attack. We have seen maritime security being threatened, but at the same time also we see less intervention when the tankers and the, uh, you know, commercial vessel were attacked, even when the U.S. drone were, uh, you know, attacked. So, you know, we start wondering, is there really, with the redeployment, with the reallocation, with the reorganizing the forces, is the U.S. still committed to the security umbrella in the region here? And are they still committed to supply the region, according to your national security and declaration, with the adequate uh, defensive equipment that it is needed without giving a hard time every time the country or the region here are trying to demand for a very specific, you know, uh, 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 desire of military equipment that will help in defending their position. So uh, the big question here, is the U.S. still committed? What sort of commitment? What statement should we talk, uh, take and, you know, uh, consider it? Is the U.S. policy there? It's getting a bit, um, you know, slightly confusing situation. The second point maybe I'd like to talk about it is the, you know, Russia-Ukraine. Uh, a lot of people misinterpret the relation between um, the Gulf countries and Saudi Arabia in particular with Russia. It's not a love relation. We don't have a strategic relation with Russia. Russia is a producer of a raw material like us. They have oil and gas. We have oil and gas and minerals. And uh, Russia export of military equipment uh, is less than is half of what a company like Sportwear Adidas in Germany, they do $26 billion export, and Russia military is about $14 billion, and we have never been a buyer of a Russian uh, you know, military equipment. So uh, the maximum we had with them is a sort of uh, a fund that Saudi wanted to invest to help and support uh, you know, in the mineral side. Uh, You've mentioned China, and I think China is a very important. China today, they enjoy $192 billion, if I'm not mistaken, as a trade relation with the Gulf country, but it's still, it's a buyer and seller and not a strategic relation. So looking at that, what we, what is our position in Raya, in, in, in Ukraine? We have voted in the UN that we are against the invasion and we are against the military uh, in any sort of military. We had the case of Kuwait and no way any one of the Gulf countries will support using military to invade any country. Second, uh, we've uh, continuously insist on the uh, unity of Ukraine and there's no way that we will support any uh, fragmentation or uh, you know, separation in Ukraine. Third, we have continuously supported the humanitarian side. We parted, and the Crown Prince did a lot of effort in releasing the, uh, you know, the prisoner there. And at the same time, uh, all the GCC official statement has been issued is asking for a peaceful political solution and ending this war situation. And there was a clear indication from countries like Saudi, like Qatar, that they will be happy if it was needed to participate in any sort of mediation. So there is no 
sort of, um, you know, there is a misperception saying or thinking that we are supporting Russia or we are standing with Russia in terms of invading Ukraine and doing uh, that one. Uh, the third point, of course, is the is the energy. And I think just a, a, a too quick reminder, historically, you know, when the uh, Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan and we were asked at that time by the U.S. to increase our oil production by 5 million barrels. This is when Casey at that time did visit Saudi Arabia in the 80s. We did. And uh, we supported fully the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, requirement, and we did that to weaken the Soviet Union presence in Afghanistan. And the second time when Secretary Bill Richardson came to Saudi Arabia in 1998, and he did ask the Gulf country to reduce the oil production simply to help Russia and the ruble not to collapse. So I think... OBIC and, and Saudi Arabia and the Gulf oil producing country, they were very helpful. They had a long-standing relation with the U.S. There was always a great coordination in this case. What we did not want it to be, we did not want to use the OBIC plus or the energy issue as part of the campaign in the U.S. and be part of that one. We believe it is the right of the U.S. people to choose whatever uh, you know, party they believe it is important and good for them, whether it's Republican or Democrat or um, any in the, any other parties they would like to see. So we do not wish to be part of that campaign and part of the the, uh, the you know situation there. Definitely, if you ask me seriously, can we do in the region without the U.S.? I will tell you no. So if we cannot do without the U.S., then what do we need to do to bring? a state-to-state -state relation in a better format. I feel sorry, I myself, you know, I was in 82 uh, in, in Washington, D.C., and at that time I started uh, a little office there, so it's for me the U.S. is the greatest country. I had all the good friends uh, and, and the good relation there, but at the same time, when we see the current situation today, highly driven by maybe personalized reason, maybe other reason that we can't understand. We can't forget that uh, just recently we've had 250,000 Saudi students studying in, in, in the U.S. And a lot of our doctors, engineers, technicians, people and, uh, have left, studied, and they were part of the U.S. Uh, education system. In the end, what we would like to see is a state-to-state -state, uh, you know, relation that continues as we have done almost close to one decade, um, you know, more than eight, uh, eight years, but almost close to one decade, uh, one century, uh, you know, in the relation. So we would like to see that relation continue and continue in the best uh, possible way for the great and the good thing of both sides. We don't, you know, we have a great respect. We understood when, 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 when it was needed, the only boots in the ground was the U.S., the only one that really contributed to the security. And we are so surprised to see such a change uh, and uh, on the behavior and on the relation. So. Uh, uh, we will definitely, people to people, we will be happy to work to try to uh, bridge any gap of misunderstanding or misperception on the on the relation, and to try to bring it to the best uh, possible way. I'll stop here, leave my uh, the other part for my good friend Dr. Abdullah Shaji from Kuwait, but I'll be happy to answer any question if there is any. And thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go to Dr. Shaji, let me just briefly just, uh, I neglected to, just just the buyers of the two speakers on this panel. We just heard from Dr. Abdulaziz El-Sagar, chairman and founder of the Gulf Research Center, a global 
policy research institution based in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Uh, it has been at times in Dubai. It's, uh, you know, these two men who are speaking on this panel have been at the forefront of, uh, you know, Gulf academic institutions, think tanks, thought, opinion, uh, which perhaps doesn't get as much attention uh, in U.S. official circles as, as it should. Um, the bios are online as well. Can I add to that? Please. Yeah. Um, add, adding to that, uh, what uh, I think maybe only one, two, or three people in this uh, audience are fully aware of, let alone appreciative of, of the annual Gulf research meetings that uh, are the visionary product of Dr. Abdulaziz Asakar. Um, he came onto the stage when there were other regional think tanks or public policy research institutes. Uh, but his came on with the view of knowledge for all. And uh, they actually take an entire year to prepare for each of these um, uh, Gulf research meetings. I've been privileged to be present at each and every one of them. There are between 300 and 400 specialists that attend these meetings and pre present papers. Not more than half a dozen are Americans. If you think something's wrong with that picture, it's because something's wrong with that picture. I know the, a reason, and this was back in the 80s when the GCC it was not very old, and it wanted to have its closest strategic relationship with the United States, but domestic politics and narratives and prevailing strategies and policies in the United States administrative branch as well as the legislative branch were in no way receptive to getting closer, much closer uh, to these six uh, countries. Uh, so to show how eager the GCC countries were to establish a relationship with the West, they joined the Euro-Med Dialogue, even though they're not part of Europe and they're not part of the Mediterranean. Uh, but one of the projects they had, which was easy uh, logistically to achieve, was for the GCC citizens and academics and specialists to know who in Europe uh, are the people who specialize on us. We don't know who they all are. We need their names, their titles, their emails, their telephone addresses, etc. And the Europeans likewise said, we're not sure we have a full database of those in the GCC region there. And now that we know each other better and can communicate each other better, let's do something together. This conference is a result of it. The United States was left out of it by its own volition. There's no good or bad reason why the United States does not participate in these meetings. They exist for several days in, in Cambridge. The networking is extraordinary. The preparation for the, each of the workshops, there are around 10 of them uh, simultaneously uh, being conducted and administered uh, there. 
aware, and each and every one of them, you are uh, entertained by a cerebral massage. And the papers themselves find their way into publications, mainly by European publishers, more than American publishers. So we salute Dr. Abdulaziz Asagar Thank you, for what he has time. created. And we pass the stage now to Abdullah Shaiji. And yeah, we're going to next hear from Dr. Abdullah Shaiji, another uh, opinion maker, uh, presenter of options, presenter of thought and independent opinion uh, in Kuwait, uh, professor of international relations, director of the postgraduate political science program, former chairman of the political science department at the highly, highly regarded, revered Kuwait University. He was awarded the Kuwait Advancement for Science Award in 2010, the highest academic award in Kuwait in the field of social and humanitarian studies, which, pre which pre was presented to him personally by, by the Emir uh, at the time, whom Sheikh Sabah, who was unfortunately is no longer with us as of uh, a little while ago. Uh, I've been with Dr. Sheji many times. He is, again, an, <clears throat> a leader, as is Sagar, in independent thought, independent research, uh, helping policymakers in the Gulf, in their gov the governments where they, they, they reside, where they're located, helping shape policy recommendations. And, and this is something I think uh, we need to pay more attention to, is independent research in the Gulf. Dr. Sheji, please, good to see you again. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, everybody. I'm uh, really glad once again to be amongst you. Unfortunately, like my good friend, Blaziz Ben Sagar, we couldn't make it uh, to Washington because of uh, so many uh, errands here we're running. And uh, uh, hopefully next year, uh, inshallah, we could, uh, both of us, uh, we could be with you guys. Uh, and I really would like to thank uh, my good friend John Duke uh, Anthony uh, for his uh, tireless effort to really build bridges. I always say uh, maybe this is uh, the only conference that I really always look forward to uh, among many conferences that are held in the, in the United States. And I also would like to thank uh, my good friend Pat for all his tireless work. And I'm really glad to see also my good friend uh, uh, Kenneth uh, and I'm sorry to hear that he's gonna be leaving but I'm sure he's not gonna he's gonna stick around and be around <laughs> and I always read his updates on uh, the GCC and uh, uh, Kuwait in particular and I also assign it to my graduate students because it's really very methodical <laughs> and very uh, deep analysis uh, that uh, Kenneth always uh, present in his work. Um, I would like to talk about uh, resetting the uh, US-GCC relations. As uh, the, uh, the former two speakers, and I agree with them 100%, I mean, but I'd like to add uh, other points from, uh, from within our region. Uh, from the very beginning, the relationship has been uh, skewed. The relationship is asymmetrical. Uh, if you uh, if you read the uh, large state small state literature, 
regarding the alliance between uh, large and small states, you see always there is a fear of uh, abandonment and uh, or fear of uh, in, uh, entanglement. Uh, and because of that, probably the United States, although I'm, I, I'm, uh, I agree with, uh, with Dr. Kenneth Katzman, that the United States is not going to pick up and leave because of the, the security issue still at heart. And the other issue is the global uh, energy security. And even though the United States has downgraded uh, the whole Middle East and the, uh, the, the GCC alliance because of the fracking, because the United States has become the number one oil producer thanks to uh, fracking and oil and gas shells. Uh, but still, the United States needs stability in the international market, uh, needs the growing markets, uh, energy, especially China and, and, uh, and East Asia. And the Ukrainian uh, issue now and the Russian war against Ukraine has proven once again that uh, uh, the Gulf region is indispensable, uh, major source and reservoir of energy, whether it is uh, oil, uh, or which we have two-thirds of it in our region, of the oil reserves in the world, and all, all the, the gas, which Qatar by itself uh, is the number one uh, LNG gas producer in the world, and everybody now is coming to the to our region to try to uh, twist our arm or to convince us uh, uh, to try to really chip in and uh, help in the energy security a problem that is really now it's going to be dragging on, especially with the winter setting in uh, in Europe, uh, and everybody is really now concerned about the security of the energy and where we could uh, get our uh, energy from. Having said that, but the what has been going on for the last, let's say, since the global war on terrorism launched by President uh, Bush uh, against uh, terrorism, uh, state actors, non-state actors, Afghanistan, Iraq, with the blunders that was caused by the neoconservatives really has re wrecked the region and drove the region into major chaos and instability that benefited the, the, the United States and its uh, GCC uh, state's allies. Uh, we, and then on top of that, uh, the, uh, the Obama administration struck the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, and the Gulf countries uh, really thought that they were really uh, left uh, alone. They were not even informed. They were not even consulted. Uh, there were secret negotiations between the Iranians and the U.S. delegations in Muscat and Oman. Then it became, uh, after it was uh, uh, covert, it became overt, and then they start meeting uh, regularly in Geneva or in Vienna. <coughs> then the deal was struck without really consultation and until the last minute by President Obama in casual Camp David first. And, and this is uh, something that I, in my book, uh, which I just published, uh, this is my book that I just published, plugging it in, in, in Arabic, the, the development of U.S. presidential doctrines. Post, this is the second edition, or the second uh, volume two. After I, in the volume one, I discussed uh, presidential doctrines from George Washington uh, to George Bush, and this one, the second volume, came out early this year, 
discussing the post-Cold War to war on terrorism, discussing mainly uh, Clinton, Bush, uh, 43rd, and President Obama. So in, in, in my book, I delineated clearly that uh, we felt jilted in the, uh, in the GCC countries. We were, uh, although we, President uh, Obama hosted uh, the GCC le leaders in Camp David just to inform them that uh, a couple of months from now, that was in May 2015, uh, we're going to sign the, uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action with Iran. It didn't take in, under, uh, into consideration our uh, or allay our fears, and and this is that was the one of the major shortcomings uh, regarding the shenanigans and the Iranian meddling in the affairs of the GCC countries and other Arab world countries. Uh, and then they bragged about and boasted about controlling four Arab capitals uh, after the Camp David uh, uh, meeting and after the accord was signed with Iran and releasing uh, billions of dollars and returning Iran to the fold of the international community. And they bragged about controlling uh, Baghdad, Damascus, Beirut, and Sana'a with the Houthis and, uh, finally took over and uh, launched a major coup that until today the region is reeling from. So that was the first indication that things are not really going well between the staunch allies and reliable allies, if I may say, uh, that don't cost the American taxpayers a single penny. Unlike Israel, that cost you guys, uh, you taxpayers, $3.8 billion and embarrass you by its uh, assassination and its belligerence and its controlling and killing and assassinating Palestinians. And look today what happened. I mean, yesterday they elected the most radical far-right uh, government in Israel history. And even President uh, Biden and the uh, Secretary of State uh, and the National Security Council raised a lot of uh, speculations about we may not be able to deal with one of the uh, firebrand, uh, Itmar bin Afir, who is the most radical firebrand, uh, doesn't believe in the existence of Palestinians. So, so from there, things really went downhill, unfortunately. Uh, with President, uh, uh, Trump walking out from the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iranians continued to escalate, they continued to improve their uh, uh, missile uh, program, a drones, prog uh, drones program, and attack and suicide uh, drones that are even being sold or given to Russia that is being car uh, carrying uh, major assault and wrecking havoc on the Ukrainians, attacking uh, the capitals and destroying themselves all over infrastructure and civilian areas. Um, the other thing that I really was was probably one of the issues that raised a lot of fear among the GCC countries was the way the United States withdrew uh, from uh, from Afghanistan. And in my opinion, if it weren't for the GCC countries, and especially Qatar, that played a major role in helping repatriate 
70,000 out of 100,000 Americans, Iranians, uh, carrying uh, permanent residency, and other uh, Afghans who helped the Americans' presence in Afghanistan, a president Biden would have really a black eye among uh, in front of his own people, and especially uh, before the Republicans. We really assisted the Americans. The Americans were very appreciated uh, for the role of the GCC, especially Qatar. That was the relationship be, uh, was upgraded in January of this year to major non-NATO ally, and making Qatar joining Qatar joined Kuwait and Bahrain as the only three GCC countries that have been upgraded to major non-NATO. Ally, which is one of the highest uh, uh, relationship between the United States and non-NATO uh, allies all over the world. Only, I think, 19 countries all over the world uh, uh, have uh, this uh, privilege or or this title. Even before that, I forgot to, to, to mention that really the, the things that really was very concerning for us was the United States doing nothing, as Abdelaziz stated, uh, intercepting or coming to the aid of the Saudi Arabia when the Iranians launched major missile and drones attack against, against the Gig and Khreis, which are two major oil installations uh, belong to Aramco on the eastern uh, province of Saudi Arabia. And imagine half of the Saudi Arabia daily oil production was shut down because of that uh, precision attack. Five million barrels of Saudi Arabia oil on a daily basis was shut down uh, because of that attack, and that represents 5% of the uh, of the world uh, oil oil output on a daily basis. Imagine that attack happens today uh, with the United States up in arms against Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is now exercising some kind of assertiveness in its foreign policy and its oil policy. And uh, this really was draining for us. I mean, I'm, I'm really shocked. Uh, I am a student and a professor of uh, U.S. foreign policy. I've been studying and teaching U.S. Uh, government system and U.S. foreign policy for over 40 years now, since I was a student uh, in Oklahoma and then in Texas, in Austin. And I've never seen United States threatening a, a reliable ally and a strategic partner like Saudi Arabia to uh, review uh, its ties and relationship in public. I mean, that, that was really something. What kind of alliance is this when you are trying to really warn and threaten and bully a, 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 an ally like Saudi Arabia in public like that? And not only President uh, Biden, but even the, the Secretary of State, uh, even uh, uh, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, even the press, even the networks. Uh, I mean, th th that was an organized campaign that really sent chills in our spines. If Saudi Arabia is treated that way, how would you treat uh, other allies with lesser significance and importance uh, in the region? So that really, uh, if, if things, because of that, I'm arguing for resetting. There is a need to reset this relationship. We cannot afford to, to, to stay uh, spiraling out of control like that, uh, uh, because this really leaves a, a indelible mark on the trust deficit. It will add, as I call it, the trust deficit between uh, uh, the, the GCC countries as a reliable allies of the United States and the West in, in general, and uh, the future relationship. This 
this is what I'm concerned about. Yes, we're hedging our bets. Yes, we're looking to, for uh, other plan B, if you will. But everybody knows, the Americans know it, we know it, the Russians know it, uh, and the Chinese know it. They don't have the muscle, they don't have the will, they don't have the projection of power or the political uh, acumen. Uh, to really come in and uh, replace United States. Nobody's talking about replacing, but I think United States, as Katzman, uh, my friend Dr. Katzman stated, needs to reassure its allies. It's not withdrawing, it's beefing up its presence, pivoting towards Asia. It does not mean leaving you guys uh, in the midst of this chaos. And look, now the region is really, uh, as the title of this conference, more uncertainties we have than assurances, unfortunately. We have Iraq in shambles. We have Iran bullying. Uh, Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago, according to Saudi and US, US intelligence, believe that an attack is imminent, an Iranian attack is imminent against Saudi uh, installations or targets and Erbil uh, and, uh, and Kurdistan, Iraq, uh, imminent, and could, this could happen to spoil probably the World Cup in Qatar to uh, deviate from the what's going on 45 days or more of continuous demonstrations, which is unprecedented. This never happened since the, the early days of the revolution uh, in Iran. So all of that really necessitate that we we depart from zero-sum game between the two sides. Hopefully things will calm down, hopefully after the midterm elections and the, the next month, the OPEC plus meeting, uh, there could be some signals or signs that things could really uh, could be on demand between the United States and especially OPEC in general and Saudi Arabia in particular. What was also concerning, I'm going to end in a couple of minutes, was the Congress also jumped in and the bandwagon with the administration. And as you know, there is a huge divergence in the United States over many issues regarding the Republicans and the Democrats. And we're following really uh, what's going on. Democracy of the United States is at stake in this midterm <coughs> election. United States is no longer the, the harbinger or the, the beacon of democracy in the world. Your democracy. You guys is really in danger uh, if, if, if MAGA Republicans will be uh, will have the, the majority in both houses or even in one house. But what was concerning for me in particular was the Congress was even more uh, bolder than the administration in attacking Saudi Arabia and threatening Saudi Arabia. Even the uh, the, the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. Menendez threatened Saudi Arabia with freezing arms, says, are you trying to shoot yourself on the foot here? And other uh, progressive Democrats all chipped in and uh, attacked Saudi Arabia. And you need like somebody to blame in order to, uh, to, uh, to explain why the, uh, the price of gas at the pump is going up. So let's hit Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, in order for the Americans to vote for Democrats. So domestic issues, the Congress chipping in, the administration threatening to uh, revisit the relationship, withdrawing from Afghanistan, not doing anything to contain Iran, uh, and not even uh, trying to really reach a, a, some kind of a, a resolution with the Iranians. 
uh, all of that with now the radicalization of the Israeli public and, and, and system, and even uh, normalization relation with Israel will really be paused now, because after two years, the, the normalization train with Israel stopped in Manama, and I, I predicted a couple of years ago, it will not depart, no, not a single GCC country will join normalization, as long as the Israelis are onslaught against the Palestinians and electing the hardliners and the firebrand uh, radicals <coughs> to run their country. I hope, uh, I finish with this, I hope the United States, the, the people in charge of the Middle East and the State Department and the Pentagon and in the National Security Council will really listen to uh, the view from the region, whether it's from the leadership, whether it's from the embassies, whether it's from academia like, uh, like us, Dr. Abdelaziz Bonsagar and myself, for the benefit of both parties, because we cannot afford to let Russia, China and Iran wreak havoc in the region, believing that the United States is leaving or have, have, having lesser footprint, no. and now it's our our time has come to really capitalize on this retrenchment of the United States. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we're going to do one question because we're running behind, and one question, and it's from me. Sorry. Uh, everybody, myself, Dr. Shaji, Dr. Sagar, everybody's talking obviously about U.S.-Saudi relations and the obvious strains. And to my mind, uh, it seems to have gotten very personal. And, and we can talk about that or not uh, between, you know, the United States government and uh, the... Uh, presumably the next uh, leader of uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, seems to have gotten very personal. So very quickly, each speaker, what, what can be done to uh, stop the deterioration and get back to where we were? Very brief, please. Thank you. Well, thank you, Karen. I think what we need to look at is a state-to-state -state, you know, relation. That's what I was asking for. I think what we need to see is how can we have a stabilized relation, disregard who is in the White House, who's managing, who's ruling. As I said, this is the issue of the, the American people. They are the one who should choose whom, whom do they want, who should rule them. But as far as we are concerned, we need to put our interests and your interests together. We need to find the common area. We don't need an interventionist policy by any side. We don't want to interfere in your domestic politics. Neither we want the U.S. <clears throat> to interfere in our domestic issue. We need to define the interest, the security issue, the framework of the security umbrella, you know, in the region, how is that going to work, and agree on the threat assessment, you know, between us. Uh, you are important to us, and maybe we are, we are important you and we have a great value you know that we add to that don't forget again uh, saudi has uh, more than just the it, its economic role it has a uh, uh, you know political and islamic uh, you know role there which you know they can really uh, play a significant one they're member of the g20 and the gcc today is the only uh, uh, structure that have survived for the, the more than 43 years despite in the beginning Many of the country, they thought it would not survive, it would not be there, but I think we are the people of the region, we would like to stick to it, and we want to keep that uh, sort of umbrella you know, for us here together. Look, look behind Dr. Sagar's uh, shoulders there, and you'll see two groups of pictures there. These are those who gather with him every summer. They're not more than three or four Americans in those crowds. 
Uh, well, I'm sure, I'm sure we can. We will be more than happy to invite more Americans to come if they wish to come and participate. We just send call for papers and call for uh, director of the workshop. I'm sure uh, it will be our great pleasure. And we hope maybe we should do uh, a U.S. branch of that. Maybe of the Gulf Research meeting, we should do a U.S. branch. Do it in the mid-semester, maybe to attract you know people from the U.S. to participate. And since we still have uh, you know hundred thousand students from the Gulf region. In there. Thank you. Thank you. Shaji, brief, well, just I, very brief. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. If I might, if I might, I might add a few points, uh, if you allow me, Dr. Katzman. Uh, the relationship between U.S. and Saudi Arabia is more than a relationship between two countries. It's a relationship between the region and the United States, the most uh, important region in the world for uh, oil security, for energy security, for the also world economy. And because of that, any friction or any uh, tension between United States and Saudi Arabia, and they have weathered so many tensions from 9-11 uh, to the Arab oil uh, boycott in the 70s, uh, and uh, today with the, with the, uh, with the OPEC plus uh, uh, issues. Uh, I think uh, United States and Saudi Arabia they have a lot in common. Uh, the benefits outweigh the the the, uh, the threats or the lack of uh, cooperation. Uh, cooler heads, I think, should prevail. Uh, we, uh, there is major threat to United States interests even in the region, and for its uh, for its allies. We need more assurances. We need to really narrow the the, the trust deficit that's still growing because. Of of actions or, or lack of actions or blunders, and you you have to believe that uh, the GCC allies, as you as you probably everybody knows in Washington and the, and the decision making apparatus, and in the GCC countries, we're not going to see uh, Chinese naval presence or Russian naval presence or air force bases uh, anytime soon. Because of that, uh, there is a, a need, an urgent need for both parties, not only Saudi Arabia with its GCC allies and the moderation uh, power in the region, not to be, be, uh, be uh, defeated by the radicalization of the region, whether it's the, uh, the Sunni radicals or the Shia radicals or the nationalist radicals that we're seeing now in Israel and in any other countries. There is a lot of at stake here. If we really don't get our act together and move uh, away from this zero-sum game, I think it's a lose-lose situation for both sides, and nobody will be happy except for uh, China, Russia, and uh, uh, Iran and its proxies in the region. Final point, I was really dismayed when I read the NDS and the NSS reports that came out a couple of weeks ago. From the from the Pentagon and from the White House, very little was mentioned about the, the Gulf region. Very little was mentioned as policy or or as initiatives beyond the cliche or beyond just general uh, statements. We need more more input from United States because there is a lot at stake here. And without United States really active presence and active uh, policy, uh, there will be a lot of void that could. Be be filled up by your 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 foes and ours. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Annette. Thank you. Concludes the panel. Turn it over to Dr. Anthony.